Hello, good evening, and welcome to Project Poseidon's Channel Aquarius. This is the show where we try to take a grounded approach to fringe topics, and I think we've got a good topic to sink our teeth into this evening. Religion and the Looming Apocalypse. Lots of opinions out there about these topics, I think. Uh, but as ever, cognitive dissonance plays a role in keeping most of those opinions from connecting with anything approaching reason. So let's see if we can address that situation here uh, together this evening. I'm your host, Dave the Dude, and I'm glad you could join me tonight. Where I am in Ottawa, Canada, it's late, uh, it's cold out, but my coffee's still warm. I uh, hope we can have an enlightening time together. Let's talk about the human situation in a nutshell, for starters. Um, if you buy into the mainstream version of our history, we seem to be at the apotheosis of the human drama. Whatever road we started down when we first developed agriculture and civilization, uh, it seems this chapter of the story will wrap itself up very soon. Uh, perhaps with a utopian graduation into a spacefaring society or a post-human one, uh, though I very much doubt it. It is no secret that humankind is in trouble and much of life on Earth as well. Uh, are we in the so-called Anthropocene era? The term is often used to denote the present time interval, the idea being that human activity has significantly and profoundly altered the environment of the planet. Humans, it seems, are a species in ecological escape. Uh, like rabbits in a valley that are kept in check by wolves until the wolves die off, we're swarming our environment and using it up, headed towards an inevitable collapse of the population at the moment when our environment can no longer sustain us. Um, except our valley is the entire planet. Uh, it seems we are at the beginning of Earth's sixth major mass extinction. Previous mass extinctions on Earth are estimated to have taken up to a million years to occur. This one is projected to take a couple of hundred years tops. Uh, the oceans are already lousy with particleized plastic and are now uh, apparently becoming too acidic to support life. The uh, ocean's food chain is collapsing. Um, bees are dying in vast numbers. Uh, the food web could well collapse on us up here on dry land as well. The topsoil in which we grow the food that feeds our billions of mouths uh, is gradually becoming eroded and unusable. 
the climate is changing and whether or not that change is anthropogenic it certainly will mean rapid and drastic changes to our environment uh, methane is blasting out of the arctic at unprecedented rates melting permafrost is threatening to do more damage via greenhouse gases in 10 years than humans can do in 100 uh, the ice that used to reflect sunlight at the poles back into space is no longer there further accelerating warming it's a mess. I mean, if you're not concerned about this, well, you ought to be. Our uh, economy seems likewise to be on the verge of collapse. We are in a carbon bubble, riding into the future on a cresting wave of energy fueled by our utilization of uh, oil and coal. Mainstream economic theory holds that the growth of the petrodollar can continue forever unabated if the system is appropriately manipulated. Uh, so economic theory is ignoring the reality of finite material resources. Um, Although I'm all too aware that what we call truth is generally a compromise we make with the facts, I think it seems clear in this insta instance uh, that, put in other words, economists seem to have chosen to have an existential argument with the real world and its immutable laws of physics. Uh, actually, that's giving them too much credit. Uh, economists seem to have chosen to pretend the real world doesn't exist at all. Um, now, although some have shunned the notion of finite resources, um, ex asserting, for example, that advances in fracking technology have made the concept of peak oil meaningless, um, an important concept to understand is that of uh, E-R-O-E-I, which stands for Energy Returned on Energy Invested. So, for example, um, at, at the height of the Texas oil boom in the early 1900s, it took approximately one barrel of oil uh, to extract 100 barrels of oil from the ground. Uh, so that's an E-R-O-E-I of 100. Um, currently, the average EROEI of oil worldwide sits somewhere between 10 and 30, uh, far short of that uh, 100 number, uh, somewhere between 10 and 30 to my understanding, um, because most of the oil in easy reach of the Earth's surface has been used up. Now, once EROEI falls below 6 to 10, it is postulated that society starts having trouble remaining functional at the level to which we are accustomed. Um, of the 7 billion people alive today, 5 billion are dependent on food produced and distributed 
by machines using fossil fuels. Uh, that means that when the EROEI drops low enough and food becomes expensive and difficult to produce and transport, uh, a lot of people could be left very hungry. <coughs> so uh, it would seem that we are in a race to see whether the economy will collapse on itself and cause a massive die-off of humans before the humans destroy the ecosphere completely and life on Earth as we know it ceases to be entirely. Uh, we have uh, bleak prospects, I think, for a bright future. Now, perhaps this is why, uh, as of this writing, uh, even uh, Pope Francis, the head of an archaic institution not known for its ability to remain relevant, has joined the growing chorus of voices calling for a revolution in the way of living, in our way of living. Um, a revolution is needed. We simply cannot and will not continue to function as we are functioning now. If we do not choose a better future for ourselves, the laws of nature will sort us out. We stand a good chance at this point of getting sorted out no matter what we choose. Um, those of us who live in what passes for democracy these days might be inclined to think that voting is an appropriate way to affect uh, the necessary changes to the status quo. There's a problem though because a new economic paradigm is going to require putting the bankers and financiers out of business and they happen to own our democracies or at least be deeply enmeshed in bankrolling them. I know it's a controversial point uh, to be sure but I'll stand by it. Um, the issue that nobody wants to talk about is population control. It evokes bad things. Ask yourself, who among us has the moral authority to curtail another's reproductive rights? Um, how would such a thing ever be implemented short of a decree by a totalitarian world government with Machiavellian instincts and a long-term vision of the future of the species. Isn't contemplating such a thing one step away from advocating for eugenics? Doesn't that just invoke Nazism and all of its excesses and atrocities? It's a mess. 
and it's one that's beyond me to figure out, frankly. But I'm going to guess that the universe is littered with the graveyards of civilizations that bloomed and then died out. I'm going to guess there are a few advanced civilizations out there that surmounted this hurdle. Uh, and I'm going to assert that any such civilization would have mastered the art of managing reproduction wisely as one of its first steps towards self-mastery. If we don't curtail our own reproduction, nature will curtail us. It's just that simple. The aforementioned Catholic Church, if it truly wanted to put its money where its mouth is, should get on board with this idea. You know, instead of telling starving people in Africa that they'll go to hell for using condoms. Well, religions are slow to change, though. I might be expecting a bit much. Uh, now, religion and its role in the modern age uh, should be discussed, I think. Because the topic and our response to it really is a sort of litmus test for our collective ability to pull our heads from our asses uh, and overcome this disease of the mind we call dogmatism. Why can't we change our minds? Why is there so much confusion? Why can't we get boots on the ground to deal with harsh realities when they come knocking. Well, few topics are as polarizing as religion. Few things have so much power in people's lives. Few topics are gotten wrong by so many people. Um, first off, it seems to me we need to come to some agreement over definitions. It seems like religion is one of the most misused words in the English language. Are you religious? No, I don't believe in God. And so forth. Um, it might surprise many people, then, to be told or reminded that religion doesn't necessarily have anything to do with God. Western theistic religions deal in God. Eastern religions generally don't. Um, when observing how religious ideas are generally discussed or debated, there is, it seems to me, a great deal of divisive confusion arising 
from an inability of parties involved to agree on what certain words mean, or an inability to see eye to eye on even general epistemological principles. So, um, the word religion comes from the Latin root ligio, uh, from whence uh, we get the word ligament. Um, and, and literally, the word means rebinding or reconnecting. So, um, Albert Einstein, the Western mystic, correctly used the word when he said, The finest emotion of which we are capable is the mystic emotion. Herein lies the germ of all art and all true science. Anyone to whom this feeling is alien, who is no longer capable of wonderment and lives in a state of fear, is a dead man. To know that what is impenetrable for us really exists and manifests itself as the highest wisdom and the most radiant beauty, whose gross forms alone are intelligible to our poor faculties, this knowledge, this feeling, that is the core of the true religious sentiment. In this sense, and in this sense alone, I rank myself among profoundly religious men. Again, that was Albert Einstein, uh, one of the great minds of all time. The word God comes from the Norse guttural tongue uh, and literally means loud noise in the sky. Um, thus, it would seem that the ineffable in modern Western thought has its linguistic roots in a rather archaic and primitive understanding of the universe. Unsurprisingly, and perhaps as a result, what passes for religion in the modern Western world is mostly ridiculous. In most modern Western theology, then, uh, reality's supreme manifestation of itself is generally recognized to take the form of an invisible, omnipotent male hominid, characterized by a vile temper and capriciousness, such that he cannot make up his mind whether he is in fact loving or wrathful. Um, Western religions hold that God created the universe ex nihilo in seven days, created two witless people, in his own image no less, to populate this creation, tempted them to exhibit some sign of shortcoming, immediately got mad at them, uh, inflicted suffering on them to punish them for their shortcomings, 
and hereafter has plans to extend their descendants' punishment to eternity unless they sacrifice various animals or each other to sate his continual thirst for blood. Uh, perhaps because of the inherent severity of this view of nature, followers of these Western religions, have, so-called religions, <laughs> have been responsible for more than a few ideological wars in their time. The so-called Prince of Peace, for example, worshipped as Christ by more than a billion people, has been the figurehead on the banner of numerous military aggressors, most recently manifesting in the, as the words, In God We Trust, on the currency of America, a country that has been at war for all but five years of its history. Um, as of today, much of the world continues to be in the grip of ideological conflict between zealot Christians and zealot Muslims and zealot Jews. Not only that, but the world's resources are being plundered and consumed, and uh, the world's ecosphere is being destroyed at an obscene rate by a populace convinced that God has chosen them as his favorite people. A sizable number of Americans, in fact, uh, opine that the quicker the earth is depleted and destroyed, the hastier the apocalypse described in the book of Revelations will be upon us, and the sooner they will be beamed into space by Jesus while the rest of us are left behind to burn. This sort of paints right-wing Christianity in the United States as a modern-day doomsday cult, doesn't it? Um, back in 2003, George W. Bush, in discussion with the French President Jacques Chirac, somewhat famously said that when he looked at the Middle East, he saw Gog and Magog at work. And the biblical prophecies unfolding. Uh, whether or not he believed that, it probably scored him a lot of points with his voting base. This isn't religion. It's madness. Uh, a cancer of the soul. A curse on the human race. Uh, messengers have been turned into war totems. And the simple message of the virtues of empathy has been not only lost, but perverted into something sick and vicious and dark. The sad thing is, Judaism, which started it all, originally seems to have begun as a mystical polytheistic practice wherein supreme reality was embodied by the uh, precept of self-awareness. God uh, was once quoted as identifying himself by the title, I am that I am. He revealed this from a burning bush, probably a marijuana plant, and speculation is that 
God had gotten into the spinach at the time. You know, that seems okay to me. I am that I am. Um, I could go along with that. Metaphysical oneness, consciousness at the root of reality. Yeah. That's that's cool. That's good stuff. <coughs> Pardon me. But um, given the mess the world is in today, you have to sort of acknowledge the disgust expressed by the people who look at the whole subject and just go, oh, yuck, religion sucks. It's not like they're wrong exactly. Not exactly, it's not exactly like they know what they're really talking about, though. Um, atheists uh, hold that there is no God and reject what they see as supernatural claims. Uh, physicalists, in particular, uh, materialists, if you prefer, hold the belief that the universe is more or less just a bunch of molecules and that's that now uh, I am of the opinion that right-thinking people everywhere despise the word just as dismissive narrow-minded and arrogant anytime you hear anybody saying uh, that's just so-and-so um, they're probably missing the point entirely Anyways, then, so that's that's atheism. Um, then there's so-called new atheism, which pushes back against dogmatic and zealous forms of so-called religion uh, with its own brand of dogmatic zealotry. Uh, according to the scholar uh, and atheist Reza Aslan, um, he says, like religious fundamentalism, new atheism is primarily a reactionary phenomenon, one that responds to religion with the same venomous ire with which religious fundamentalists respond to atheism. What one finds in the writings of anti-theist ideologues like Dawkins, Harris, and Hitchens is the same sense of utter certainty, the same claim to a monopoly on truth, the same closed-mindedness that views one's own position as unequivocally good and one's opponent's views as not just wrong, but irrational and even stupid, uh, the same intolerance for alternative explanations, the same rabid adherence as anyone who has dared criticize Dawkins or Harris on social media can attest, and most shockingly, the same proselytizing fervor that one sees in any fundamentalist community. This is precisely what Albert Einstein meant when he warned about fanatical atheists are like slaves who are still feeling the weight of their chains, which they, ha they have thrown off after hard struggle. They are creatures who, in their grudge against traditional religion as the opium of the people, cannot hear the music of the spheres.
Tolstoy uh, was once quoted as saying, uh, he said, It is a terrible thing to see a man who has the incomprehensible in his grasp, does not know what to do with it, and sits playing with a toy called God. I wonder what he meant by that. It seems to me like a statement that could apply to atheists as readily as it does to theists. Uh, everybody's hung up on this God concept. God exists. God doesn't exist. Um... And everybody seems to have the truth of the matter. It's it's a ridiculous state of affairs. Um, Eastern theologians uh, hold that God is in fact one with creation. The ground of being, if you will. This is a generalization, but it's more or less accurate, particularly in the case of Taoism. Many religious practices in the East tend towards obeisance to pantheons of mystical entities. Uh, these two tenets are not as contradictory as they first sound, as each god of the pantheon is seen to be a face of the ultimate. The wide variety of ways in which devotees of Eastern faiths have been found to express their worship for these entities is a testament to the fertility, uh, depth, and profound weirdness of the human imagination. Uh, it has been noted that Eastern religions tend to be far more open and all-embracing than Western ones, uh, at least in theory although uh, fanatics do seem to exist everywhere. So, here's the rub. Scholars of Eastern theology, scholars of Eastern theology, tend to recognize that their pantheons are representative symbols that embody universal forces or aspects of human struggle. Uh, now, these... Uh, Highbrow notions don't always catch on with the general populace, uh, many of whom often tend to take their pantheism a bit more literally. Um, again, there are several variations and schools of thought in this vein, and a good deal of overlap, but the main players seem to be Buddhism, Taoism, and Hinduism. In the scholarly Eastern traditions, all things that exist are considered to be fragmentary, pluriform aspects of God, or Brahman, or the Tao. Um, the purpose of God, or Brahman, or the Tao, as you prefer, uh, seems to be to observe every possible aspect of itself that it might know about uh, itself better. And it seems to go about this by manifesting as an immense universe 
full of stuff capable of doing so. Alan Watts has summed this up beautifully many times in many ways. Um, notably, he said the following. Uh, he says, I myself have read a great deal of theological reasoning about the existence of God, and it all starts out along this line. If you are intelligent and reasonable, you cannot be a product of a mechanical and meaningless universe. Figs do not grow on thistles. Grapes do not grow on thorns. Therefore you, as an expression of the universe, as an aperture through which the universe is observing itself, cannot be a mere fluke. Because if this world peoples, as trees bring forth fruit, then the universe, the energy which underlies it, what, is, what it is all about, must be intelligent. Um, Carl Jung, the great psychiatrist, the great doctor of the soul, uh, a man who I think may well prove to have been 200 years ahead of his time, <coughs> seemed to think that God was a symbol for wholeness present in the unconscious minds of men. Espousing a theory of collective unconscious, which is to say that all men's minds are drawn from the same primordial metaphysical substance, he had this to say on the topic of whether God exists. It is only through the psyche that we can establish that God acts upon us. But we are unable to distinguish whether these actions emanate from God or from the unconscious. We cannot tell whether God and the unconscious are two different entities. Both are borderline concepts for transcendental contents. But empirically, it can be established with a sufficient degree of probability that there is in the unconscious an archetype of wholeness. Strictly speaking, the God image does not coincide with the unconscious as such, but with this special content of it, namely the archetype of the self. God is reality itself. Albert Einstein we keep coming back to him, don't we? Um, Albert Einstein seemed to agree with the superiority of Eastern traditions when he said, The religion of the future will be a cosmic religion. It should transcend personal God and avoid dogma and theology. Covering both the natural and the spiritual, it should be based on a religious sense arising from the experience of all things natural and spiritual as a meaningful unity. Buddhism answers this description. If there is any religion that could cope with modern scientific needs, it would be Buddhism. Um, <coughs> I'm not sure that I would presume to be able to add anything 
to Einstein's assessment of the situation. Uh, my main point then is that in the Western world we are all seemingly stuck in infantile thinking in our attempts to make sense of or throw off these puerile broken mythologies we've inherited. There's real mystery to be apprehended in life. A sense of wonder that comes from seeing past the um, is he or isn't he polar spectrum of beliefs that shape Western thinking. Atheists and theists alike, uh, it seems to me, could use a dose of higher perspective and could benefit from being willing to engage in discourse along the lines of critical rationalism with humility and openness. Um, in so doing, we may find ourselves in the territory Einstein found himself in, awed by a cosmos that defies explanation and ready, perhaps, to embrace a larger view of things. Ditching these ridiculous dogmas to which we are enslaved would probably help us fix our planet and save our species as well. We could redirect the money we're spending on war and weapons to education and social programs. We could have a real discussion about our population issues. Uh, we could, as the comedian Bill Hicks put it, explore space, both inner and outer, together in peace forever. Pope Francis was right on the money in saying that we need a revolutionary mindset to tackle the problems that are facing us. I don't know what we could try that we haven't tried before, but I sometimes wonder if people need a new symbol to rally around, being the symbol-minded folks that we are. Think of World War II. That was an almost overnight transformation of society. A plowshares to swords program uh, to rise to the challenges of the times. If only we could respond with that sort of alacrity and fervor and commitment to our current situation. The stakes certainly seem to warrant it. But, you know, I could be dreaming. I'm probably dreaming. Uh, perhaps the sad truth is that the world can only change its mind one dead person at a time. If that is the case, I fear the human race will be doing a lot of soul-searching over the next century. A terrible tragedy may be ahead for us. 
despite it all, uh, we have to remain optimistic. As Robert Anton Wilson said, the optimist sees a dozen possible solutions where a cynic sees only defeat. In a way, that's what these podcasts are trying to be all about. There are wondrous discoveries to be had by looking at what's right in front of our faces. Maybe the solution to our species' dilemmas lies somewhere behind a door we refuse to open for whatever reason. On that note, uh, I think it's time we wrapped it up for the evening. Um, Thank you for joining me, and here's hoping you haven't found the subject matter too gloomy. Um, I'd like to give the last word to that great teacher, Alan Watts, uh, whose growing popularity in these days is, I hope, a sign that an awakening of sorts is gaining momentum because of this wonderful tool we call the Internet. I hope you all have a good evening and pleasant dreams. I will be in bed soon, wondering if this isn't all a dream. Uh, I will hope to see you again before long. Have a good night. So then, here's the drama. My metaphysics, let me be perfectly frank with you, are that there is the central self, you can call it God, you can call it anything you like. And it's all of us. It's playing all the parts of all beings whatsoever, everywhere and anywhere. And it's playing the game of hide and seek with itself. It gets lost, it gets involved in the farthest out adventures, but in the end, it always wakes up and comes back to itself. And when you're ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. And uh, since you're all here and engaged in this sort of inquiry and listening to this sort of lecture, I assume that you're all on the process of waking up. Or else you're teasing yourselves with some kind of uh, flirtation with waking up, which you're not serious about. But I assume maybe you are not serious but sincere, that you are ready to wake up. So then, when you're in the way of waking up and finding out who you really are, you meet a character called a guru. As the Hindus say, this word, the teacher, the awakener. And what is the function of a guru? He's the man who looks at you in the eye and says, oh, come off it. <laughs> I know who you are. You know, you come to the guru and say, sir, I have a problem. I'm unhappy and I want to get one up on the universe or I want to become enlightened. I want spiritual wisdom. Ah, and the guru looks at you and says, Who are you? You know Sri Ramana Maharshi, that great Hindu sage 
of modern times, people used to come to him and say, Master, who was I in my last incarnation? As if that mattered. And he would say, who is asking the question? And he'd look at you and say, basically, go right down to it. You're looking at me, you're looking out, and you're unaware of what's behind your eyes. Go back in and find out who you are, where the question comes from, why you ask. And if you've looked at a photograph of that man, I have a gorgeous photograph of him. And you look in those, I walk by it every time I go out of the front door. And I look at those eyes and the humor, the lilting laugh that says, oh, come off it, man. <laughs> Shiva, I recognize you. When you come to my door and you say, I'm so-and-so, I say, ha ha, what a funny way God has come on today. <laughs> uh, there are all sorts of tricks, of course, that gurus play. They uh, say, well, we're going to put you through the mill. And the reason they do that is simply that you won't wake up until you feel you've paid a price for it. In other words, the sense of guilt that one has, or the sense of anxiety, is simply the way one experiences keeping the game of disguise going on. Do you see that? Supposing you say, I feel guilty. Christianity makes you feel guilty for existing. That somehow, the very fact that you exist is an affront. You are a fallen human being. I remember as a child when we went to the services of the church on Good Friday, they gave us each a colored postcard with Jesus crucified on it. And it said underneath, this have I done for thee, what doest thou for me? You know, you felt off. You nailed that man to the cross. Because you eat steak, you have crucified Christ because it killed the bull, and after all, you depend on it. Mithra, it's the same mystery. And what are you going to do about that? This have I done for thee, what doest thou for me? You feel awful that you just exist at all. But that sense, that sense of guilt, is the veil across the sanctuary. Don't you dare. In order to, you know, in all mysteries, when you're going to be initiated, there's somebody saying, ah, 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 don't you come in. You've got to fulfill this requirement, of this requirement, of this requirement, of this requirement, then we'll let you in. And so you go, you, you go through the mill. Why? Because this is, you're saying to yourself, I won't wake up until I feel I deserve it. I won't wake up until I've made it difficult for me to wake up. So I, I, I invent for myself an elaborate system of delaying my waking up. I put myself through this test and that test, and when I feel it's been sufficiently arduous, then I may at last admit to myself who I really am and draw aside the veil and realize 
that after all, when all is said and done, I am that I am, which is the name of God. And when it comes to it, that's really rather funny. They say in Zen, when you attain Satori, nothing is left to you at that moment but to have a good laugh. But naturally, uh, all masters, Zen masters, yoga masters, every kind of master, uh, puts up a barrier and says to you, he simply plays your own game. You know, we say anybody who goes to a psychiatrist ought to have his head examined. Because you, when you go to a psychiatrist, you define yourself as somebody who ought to have his head examined. Same way, uh, the Zen masters say anybody who studies Zen or comes to a Zen master ought to be given 30 blows with a stick. Because he was stupid enough to pose the question that he had a problem. But you're the problem. You, you put yourself in this situation. So it's a question fundamentally. Do you define yourself as a victim of the world or as the world? Rise and fall. I've heard their stories, heard them all. 
nothing you can't 